I mentioned to you before how much I enjoy seeing all the children as they leave. Uh, then I come up here and I start getting everything ready, and I'm looking down, and a thought that usually comes to my mind is when I look up, are they going to all be gone? But thank you for staying, okay? <laughs> Today we're looking at the transfiguration of Jesus, uh, this uh, wonderful, marvelous, mystical experience occurred soon after Jesus had talked to his disciples, had asked them who they thought he was. Peter had made the great confession, you are the Christ. Jesus has said, let me tell you what that means. That means I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'll be killed. After three days, I'll rise again. And then he calls upon them uh, that if they want to continue following him, they're going to have their own cross to carry as well. About eight days after that, we read about this story. Let's be standing, please. This truly is the gospel, God's word to us. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. May God bless the reading of his word. So, how many of you here today enjoy a good mystery? All right. Well, today we have one for you. Just read about it. Now, of course, we're not talking about the kind of mystery that you encounter in a book or a movie where something has happened, usually some crime has been committed, and you don't know who done it until the end of the book or the movie. That's a lot of fun. I like those. But the kind of mystery that we're talking about today is holy mystery divine mystery. And what we mean by holy or divine mystery is something about God or about what he has done that we cannot quite understand, that we can't quite wrap our minds around, that we have questions about why and how. And try as we may, we just can't quite get it. Now, some of us like that kind of mystery. Others of us, it drives you crazy. 
You know, questions like, well, I know that God created us, but where did God come from? Or why does God allow evil in this world? Why doesn't he just stop it, do something about it? Or how does the Holy Spirit live in us? You know, God said he's going to come and abide in us. How does that work? Well, those are mysteries. Some of us like those mysteries. Others of us are sort of bothered by them. You know, here at Johnson Street, we talk a lot about loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we talk about how God has called us to take all four of those areas of our personality and our spirituality and to bring them to loving God fully. We also recognize that all of us naturally excel in one of those areas more than the others. That, for example, if you're a heart person, you tend to find God in your relationships with other people. That if you want to experience the Holy Spirit, well, you get together with other Christians and you sing and you pray and you hold hands and you hug on each other and you get involved in their lives and you cry and you laugh and the Holy Spirit is just everywhere for you then. Or if you're a mind person, then you like to study about the Holy Spirit. You want to learn about the Holy Spirit. And you believe that the Holy Spirit is teaching you as you read the Word of God. And, and it's all about God telling you what's right, telling you what's wrong, and, and forming and guiding your life through the teaching that the Holy Spirit gives to you. If you're a strength person, then the Holy Spirit to you is what empowers you to get out and serve other people because obviously that's what God wants you to do is be blessing the lives of others and to be doing things that are good, helping those that are in need, and, and it's the Holy Spirit that, that empowers you. If you're a soul person, then the Holy Spirit is in those moments where God comes to you and He's just so real. That you can almost touch him and you know that you're talking to him and you know that he's talking to you. And it's a mystery. As I said, the story about the transfiguration is a mystery. And you soul people say, good. The rest of you say, what's up with that? And we're going to work through it just very quickly here and, and see if we can come up with some what's with it with the transfiguration. But in the end, I'm going to warn you, you're not going to be satisfied because it's just a wonderful mystery. And we soul people say, let it be. It's okay. You know, do you want a God you totally understand? You know, would he be God if you could understand him and grasp him? Well, no. So hear the story again. And I pray that it blesses your life. And we're going to see if we can touch some things in it and take some things home with us from it. But in the end, it's just a mysterious, wonderful appearance of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that it happened about eight days after Jesus had been telling them about what was going to be coming and happening in Jerusalem. He was going to be crucified. He would be resurrected. And they didn't quite get it. They, you know, those disciples, they just never seemed to be really hearing what Jesus says to them. Well, about eight days later, he takes three, which are representative of all, and, but his three little inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and they go up on the mountain because Jesus wants to go through another one of his marathon 
praying sessions. He did this a lot. When, when times for Jesus were really intense, his reaction was, I need to go pray. For most of us, when times get intense, we don't have time to pray. You know, I, I love Martin Luther's uh, statement that he made one time. He says, I'm too busy not to pray. You know, that, that's, you know, sometimes we're the opposite, that if we get busy, but we got to pray. So Jesus, things are busy. Things are wild. I need to go spend quite a bit of time praying to God. So he goes up on the mountain. He takes Peter, James, and John. And something glorious happens there. While he's praying, his face changes. Matthew and Mark tell us that it becomes radiant. Luke tells us that his clothes he's wearing become, I think my version said that I just read over there, was like a flash of lightning, just dazzling white. And what a blessing that is to have that picture of Jesus in our mind. Because one thing that the transfiguration of Jesus does for us is reveal to us the glory of Jesus. And we need to remember that. His disciples certainly did. Because they were living with him 24-7. And although they saw him as an amazing man who was doing amazing things, and yes, they were even coming to realize he was the Christ, that the transfiguration was to tell him he's even more than that. He is divine. He is the Son of God. He is God incarnate. So in the transfiguration, that curtain that separates spiritual reality from the physical is pulled back. And his disciples are given the opportunity to see him for who he really is. And what a blessing that would be in their lives as just a few short months later, they're going to be called upon to put their lives on the line, going out and telling people who this man is. And to have seen with their own eyes or to have heard from some of their best friends, we saw him, you wouldn't believe what he looks like whenever his spiritual nature is shining through. And I needed to hear that. Are you hearing this? Did I go away? Am I here now? All right, good. I don't like that to stand in one place. Okay. So the transfiguration revealed the glory of God. It did some more things. While Jesus is transfigured, Moses and Elijah show up. Moses and Elijah. What a blessing that is. Isn't that wonderful for you that Moses and Elijah came and spent time with Jesus on that mountain? Let me tell you why it's wonderful for you. It's wonderful for you because it tells us that 1,200 years after Moses had died, 800 years after Elijah had gone off into heaven, disappeared from this earth, they're still around. Now, we don't know where they are, mystery. We don't know exactly how they look, what's going on. There's a lot of questions we can come up with about where did Moses and Elijah go, what's going on with them, all the, but mystery, but they're around. They're still here. They were talking with Jesus there on the mountain. And what a wonderful blessing that is to us to know that as we have said goodbye to so many that have been a part of our lives, to know that they're not totally gone. They didn't cease to exist. They're somewhere. They're with God. Those who believe in Him, those who have been blessed by His mercy and His grace through Jesus Christ, they're still somewhere. And one day, as the disciples saw Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, we'll see them again. 
What a blessing it is to remind us not to invest everything we have in this life here. For there is so much more beyond this life. And what a blessing it is to us not to let the cares and troubles and trials and sufferings of this life get us down. Because there's more beyond this. So at the transfiguration, as Moses and Elijah joins with Jesus and stands and talks with him, it's a blessing not only to Peter, James, and John, but to us. Now, one other thing that's a blessing about that is that Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. And to the Peter and James and John, that was pretty much all the word of God was the, the law and the prophets. If you read the New Testament, even Jesus himself talks about the law and the prophets. Moses was the law. Elijah was one of the prophets. And so we have another blessing in the transfiguration to know that the law and the prophets were really all about Jesus anyway. That what Moses did, what Elijah did, all that is pointing toward the coming of Jesus. And that was important for Peter, James, and John to know. It's important for us to know too. Just like the writer of the book of Hebrews says at the very beginning of his book, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways. But to us today, he speaks to us through his son. What a blessing it is to read this story and to hear these things and to know that this transfiguration is a mystery, and yet something still we can get something from. What were Moses and Elijah talking about? You know, if you read Matthew and Mark, you don't know. Luke tells us. Did you catch that? What were they talking about on top of that mountain in their spiritual form? Oh, none of y'all passed the test. Didn't you? You're just bashful. They were talking about what my version said, his departure. Let me tell you that in Greek. In Greek, they were talking about his exodus. Same word. And that word just sets off all kinds of bells and whistles, doesn't it? Jesus was about to go to Jerusalem. Jesus was about to die, be buried, and be resurrected. And when they talked about it, they called that his exodus. And it meant all to us that the exodus meant to the Jewish people before Peter, James, and John, as they heard Exodus, Exodus, you know, that's when God took his people out of the land of slavery, out of the bondage, and led them into the wilderness and nurtured them and cared for them and took them to the promised land. And what Jesus was about to do in Jerusalem, it does the same thing for us. He was about to go to Jerusalem, release his people from the slavery of sin, and to lead them then through the wilderness, and into the promised land. The events that were about to occur in Jerusalem just a few days after all of this were as significant in the lives of the disciples as the events that happened way back then in Egypt whenever God came and took his people and took them home. And that's what God has done for us as well. And that sets off all kinds of thoughts too. The writer of Hebrews, once again, really picks up on this. He got it. He understood that the exodus was happening again, that we are walking through the wilderness with our Lord. He is taking us to a city that he has prepared for us, to the promised land. And he says, now, don't get tired. Don't get weary. Don't give up. Don't be like the first group that he took through the wilderness who griped and complained, who turned against him in many ways. 
God is taking you somewhere where you want to be. He is with you. He is providing for you through all these things of life. He is here. Trust Him and walk with Him. Which brings up something else about the disciples. Did you notice what the disciples were doing while all these marvelous things were happening? They were asleep. They were so sleepy. You know, it reminds me, when my middle son especially, I don't know why he's the one that comes to mind, they all did it. But when he was like two years old or three years old, you know how heavy a two and three year old child is? And you've carried them all that, well, you're so glad they're walking now. And they go, so you put them on the ground and say, walk, walk. And so we would go along somewhere until we got somewhere they didn't want to be. If we walked into Dillard's. All of a sudden, he just couldn't walk. Oh, I'm so tired. I can't walk. I'm so sleepy. And you have to pick him up and carry him. I'm that way with Jesus and God. You know, they want to be to go and to do. And here this wonderful event is occurring in front of them, and they're just so sleepy. Oh, so many times when we get challenged spiritually, we just, oh, we're so tired. Do we really want to deal with that? Do we really want to work through that? You know, it's just so much easier just to rest and relax and to let it go on by. Oh, the transfiguration, just that little detail tells me there, you know, there's amazing things happening before us. God is at work. God is doing so much. Don't sleep through it. Don't be so tired. Get up and do something. Get up and and just at least enjoy what God is doing and appreciate all that he's laying out there before us. So finally they get awake and then they say something stupid, don't they? They say, Master, anybody catch that? Oh, Brian did. Oh, thank you, Brian. Brian passes. The rest of you fail. If you were here last week and you don't know about Master and Luke, then I just didn't do a good enough job. I'm sorry. But every time Luke puts the word master in the mouth of the disciples, that particular Greek word that he translated to have them say, then they're saying something that's kind of, you know, they don't get it. Master, let's build three tabernacles for you. At least they got the idea of the wilderness wanderings and the the exodus. Let's build three tabernacles for you. They didn't quite understand that that Moses and Elijah were great people, but you know they thought they were honoring Jesus, putting him on a par with them. But God's going to say, uh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Of the three, there's only one, only one that really matters. And that's the final point. I saved myself four minutes this time. I only had two last time, last service. The final point that I really take out of this story is that as soon as Peter says that, got this cloud, which isn't unusual. Y'all ever been on top of a mountain and a cloud comes over? And, you know, but this cloud was different, and it says it scared the disciples whenever this cloud descended upon them. Something different about this cloud. And out of this cloud came a voice And the voice said, hush. I didn't say that. It said, this is my son. He's the one I've chosen. And if you're going to listen to anyone, you listen to him. And do we hear the call of God in our lives there? The title of this sermon is, What's on Your Playlist? What are you listening to? So many voices in your life. So many people telling you what they think. So many opinions out there about everything from how to live, politics, on and on and on. And so much of what we think and who we are is shaped by who we decide we're going to listen to. Your political views. 
You probably have some, and, and they continue to be shaped by what TV station you decide to watch, the one that you think is telling you the truth. Well, from that point on, you're going to be shaped and molded in that direction, and that's what you're going to think, you know, if, you, if that's what you listen to. Your, your social life. You know, guys, the music you choose to listen to, it shapes you. It really makes what you think, uh, how you feel about yourself, how you feel about other people. Even if you don't think you're listening to the words, yes, you are. And the music is language as well. The music is going in and, and the style of the music really can set you up to feel good, to feel bad, to feel turned on, to feel turned off. You know, it can do all of those things. And you've got to decide, what do I want to be? And therefore, what am I going to listen to? Well, we could go on with all those illustrations, but what you choose to listen to really does mold you and make you. And God's exhortation to us is, I sent my son to tell you what's real and what's right. Listen to him. And to ask ourselves the question, are we? Are we really giving him time to talk to us? When's the last time you've read the words of Jesus in this book? When's the last time you read the Sermon on the Mount? Three whole chapters of red ink. If you are a red-letter Bible carrier where the words of Jesus are in red, you get three chapters of them in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He tells us a lot of things in there. He tells us how the gospel blesses our lives, the coming of the kingdom of God, that those of us who are poor in spirit, those of us who are mourning, that we are blessed by the coming of His, his gospel, of his, his kingdom into our lives. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who go out and seek to reconcile others. Those are the children of God. He tells us that we are called upon to love not just those who love us, but we are called upon to love those who don't even like us. Other voices don't tell us that. Other voices tell us that when someone doesn't like us, you find ways to defeat them and to push them down, to push them away, to let everyone know how awful they are. Jesus says you learn to love them and you serve them. Who are we listening to in that? Jesus tells us that we are called upon to be vessels of mercy, that our whole mission in life is to bring the mercy of God into the lives of others, and they experience that in the way that we forgive them, and that we bless their lives by our acceptance and our embrace of them, that they, we are there for them to encourage them. We don't hear that in a lot of other places, but we hear it when we listen to Jesus. And what he says to us. When's the last time that we read about the two masters? He says, watch out. You're going to have to choose. You're going to serve the things of this earth or you're going to serve me. You're going to serve your money. You're going to serve me. And pondered over that and thought, which one am I serving? Or heard his exhortation not to worry that he's going to take care of you. Or heard his wonderful invitation. Come to me, those of you who are weary. And anyone who's come here carrying a heavy burden, if you will come to me, I will give you rest. The disciples of Jesus listen intently to the voice of Jesus. We hear it in the words of this book. And yeah, for us who like mystery, we hear it in the times that we're quiet with him and in our prayers. And he comes and he touches our heart. And he calls us to come to him. He calls us to be responsive to him. And in that story of so long ago, that great mystery of the transfiguration, we know that Jesus is more than a man, that Jesus is God, that Jesus has spoken to us and he continues to speak to us. 
And if we're going to be his disciples, we've made the commitment that we will always have our ears tuned to him. We will always be listening to him. Now, I don't know if he's been speaking to you today in the words of this book that we read or if in my attempts to try to bring his word to you. Or maybe even before you came here, as you were driving in your car, you heard the whispers. You knew he was calling, that he was calling you to come one more time to him, to come and to be his child, to be his disciple. We're going to be standing here in a moment. And if you're someone that came here carrying a heavy burden, if you came here and you're just tired and you've heard the word of Jesus say, I'll give you rest. We have some of our leaders from this congregation who will be standing on the sides and at the back. They're there for you, to pray with you, to love on you, to counsel you as to what your next step might be. Listen to the voice of Jesus in your life and act. Let's stand and sing.